Tucker, how was your 4th of July? It was great. I mean, again, the, the actual weekend was a little bit cloudy and rainy, um, but then uh, the day of was beautiful. The The last couple of days, including the holiday, were great. Um, so I got some time at the pool. I, I still have my friend in from Australia, and so we got some time to catch up um, with, I have an old college buddy that I've introduced to this friend from Australia. So I met this woman at BP. And so we, we were colleagues. And then you'll remember Katie Moorfield. Yeah. Uh, she's she's a friend of ours and a friend of, of this woman's stuff. And uh, so it's exciting. So we we had a great time. Um, Good. Weather. How about you? Good. I need to reconnect with Katie. She just banged me on uh, LinkedIn and I haven't had a chance to connect with her, but I, I love the Morfed family. They were, they were so much fun going through college with them. So I'm glad you got to catch up with them. Uh, we, we had, uh, we kind of had a pre 4th of July at the, the golf course down by us. There's a real cool um, fireworks show. So we went out and watched the fireworks over the lake and on Saturday night. And then we had a, um, kind of a block party yesterday with all of our friends in the neighborhood and kids played and we ate and barbecued and and it rained every hour and a half so we didn't get much except for the local everybody's private fireworks which were pretty darn impressive the money that was spent on local just private fireworks is amazing to me but we we had a, we had a fun night so um like to welcome our be significant um, audience to our podcast. Um, we've got a great show today. Um, we've got um, Mr. Aaron Magee's going to join us today. And just to give you a little context, um, Aaron, um, we grew up three houses down. I grew up with the youngest of five kids. So my brothers and sisters are all 10 to 15 years older than me. And by the time I was seven, all of my brothers and sisters were gone. So I basically grew up an only child. It was just me and my parents, you know, from seven to 18. And Aaron and his sister, Becky, were really my brother and sister. I mean, we grew up together. We spent every day together. And Aaron and I were best friends all the way through middle school where we kind of, my family moved to the other side of town, but we were, we still did everything together. Every weekend we spent together. Um, Aaron was a great best friend for a little boy because his love of music, his love of sports, his, he had the energy of three little boys. He was an unbelievable runner, track and field, cross country. Um, and his love of building and deconstructing electronics, man, was addictive. I mean, he, you know, if he had a little machine, a little toy, he would break it. If he had a radio, he would break it apart and find out how it ran. And, and I remember when he was about 15, 16 years old, he said, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, you know, and he, even in the early eighties and late eighties, he already had that mindset that he was going to do great things. And um, Aaron's gone on to be a serial entrepreneur. He's built companies from scratch. He's partnered with others um, in the early stages. He's grown companies. Um, he's sold them to the big wigs um, so if you're an entrepreneur and looking for motivation, um, Aaron is presently the partner and VP of growth at 329. And it's a, this is something that's way over my head, but it's a digital agency for B2C. So, you know, 
he works with other companies and, and does startups to need fractional development, creative and marketing resources to improve conversion and retention. Whatever the heck that means, um, you know, Aaron, Aaron would explain a lot better. But his story is one that any young business person or prospective entrepreneur will want to hear. And um, just he's just great. What you, Anything you took away from our conversation you want our audience to be prepared for? Well, I think, again, you mentioned it, but anybody who's interested in starting their own business, I think he talks about just kicks off and we spend a lot of time at the beginning of the conversation around curiosity and how important it is um, surrounding yourself with the right people and, and the right people defined we get to of it doesn't it's not that you all think alike that you play to each other's strengths. Um, so where there's somebody that you're really strong in some areas, make sure that the whole team's not strong in that same area, or you're going to miss the boat on some other things. So really diversity of that teams, but being able to do that. And then communication, 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 and um, really getting out there with, you know, the potential customers of your idea, I think is imperative. So those are things that I took away. And I think just in any business, whether it's mature or you're getting ready to start your own, those are key attributes to make sure you're staying relevant, you're staying current, you're willing to pivot as needed. Um, but just a, a ton of knowledge. I mean, this is an impressive interview and an impressive individual. So I'm excited for our listeners to hear more. I agree. And uh, enjoy it. Here's Aaron Magee. Aaron Magee, so great to see you. Thanks for being on. Be significant with us. And uh, we're just really excited you're here. So thanks for doing this for us. Yeah, you're certainly welcome. And I want to give our audience a little context. Um you and I have known each other since we could basically walk and talk. I don't have many childhood memories without you. Am I missing something? No, no I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I, I mean, think we're like four doors down from in, each other growing up. Yeah. We were on Oak street from day one, right? Did your family move in after you were born? Uh, yeah. What, what age was, I, I don't remember what age. I, I just, I know there from like, like five and six, moved there we were when inseparable. Like six months old or something like that. Yeah. Maybe I was born there. I don't even remember. I mean, obviously I don't remember. So, yeah. <laughs> so in short, we've known each other a long time and, and you had a vision for yourself at a very young age. You, you were probably a teenager that I remember very clearly that <clears throat> you were focused on being a tech guy, being a guy that was going to make a huge difference in the world. You had great confidence in yourself. And I was always, you know, we're, not, we're close in age, but you were always a big brother for me. And I, your confidence was all, always exuded confidence. And, and, I, and I always was impressed by that. So you wanted to be that guy that was going to change the world, change the tech world. You were going to be a millionaire by the time you were 30. Yeah. You know, that was your goal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And and although your journey has taken you to places that you probably didn't expect, right? And, and you've hit your share of obstacles in along the way, mm -hmm. uh, you've pretty much lived that vision in a lot of ways. Would you agree? I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's awesome. And I think that's, that's what makes you significant that what you wanted to do, what you set off to do 30 odd years ago, you've, you've done it. What do you, what, what do you attribute that persistence and that follow through to where, where did that come from? Uh, yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, honestly, I wish I could tell people it's like, it's a three-step process, but it really, I can't really attribute it to anything. I mean, ultimately it just came down to that's just the way I was. And I think it was, 
kind of this, it was a desire to do something different, to be something different, to kind of go against the grain. And certainly, you know, in at the age that we, I mean, I'm almost 50. I mean, in that era, I mean, technology was kind of just starting to to kind of grow, right? right? So there was there it was something that was new and not a lot of, not a lot of people knew about it. So I think there was certainly that appeal to a trend in, you know, in the market, if you will. So I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Yeah. 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 You were you were always so darn curious, you know, you could you if there was an electronic thing in your house, it was in a hundred pieces at some point. I mean, Absolutely, you, were, yeah. you were deconstructing it and figuring out how it worked and, you know, how, how, how somebody built it. You wanted to figure out from scratch how, how it did that. Do you still have that in your head? Do you still have that mentality? Do you oh, like absolutely. Yeah. Down? No, I think, I think being curious is a, um, one, I think it's missing right now in society. A lot of, we've probably seen like a lot of the trends, just this idea that people don't want to be curious. They want to jump to a conclusion. And I think that we've seen kind of the impact of that. I think um, being curious in business is obviously very, very helpful because as we all know, we've been around a lot of different people. People have different perspectives and trying to understand somebody from their point of view. Right. A lot of times two people could say the same thing and mean something different. So I think being curious helps you really dig in and understand, like really get clear. Um, and then especially when you're talking about um, bringing new ideas to the market or trying to solve a problem curiosity is what it's all about right you have to really you have to go in with that kind of beginner's mind to be like i don't know anything why don't you tell me what this means to you how is this impacting you personally how is this impacting your team how is this impacting your business and really try to understand those things so that you can ultimately craft a solution to those problems so to me i think that's where curiosity is, um, you know, you guys talk about being significant. I think it's a very significant skill to kind of foster and develop. So, right. Yeah. T take, take us back because you and I, you know, we, we talk about once every 10 years, it seems like, you know, yeah, about, yeah. You know, and, and take us back to 23 and, and kind of give us that, you know, that cliff notes journey that you went through to get where you're at today. Yeah, well, I went to uh, an engineering school in my freshman year uh, in college, and there I met a group of guys who kind of had similar, I guess, aspirations that I did. And it was very clear within kind of the first year that engineering was something I, again, I liked technology, I liked engineering, but ultimately it's like entrepreneurship was really the path. Right. And so I started talking with these guys immediately about, well, what are we going to do that's, what can we do that's entrepreneurial? And they were kind of thinking the same thing. It's like, we're really in the wrong school we should be in an entrepreneurial school right. and ultimately you know that I mean, we talked about buying like what was once called the eighth wonder of the world some giant like hotel in indiana that was that was up for sale but you know now it's been redone and we're like oh we could be real estate tycoons i mean kind of like as you know the sky's the limit and i think that idea that you could just kind of be anything or do anything is um is really really important right don't let there be imposed limitations, really be, be open to thinking out of the box. And so ultimately, um, I didn't continue with that school. Those guys did, and but I stayed in touch with, with a group of guys. And ultimately, um, right after we graduated from our respective colleges, we, we did start a business. We, our senior year of college was all about, what are we going to start when we graduate? So, you know, I went and ultimately got just what I would call a very straightforward degree that didn't require a lot of brain power so I could devote extra time to business planning and everything else. 
And then, um, and then, yeah, we started our first company in 1996. It was a dial-up internet service provider. We built websites for people and hosted dial-up. And then that we knew that that was kind of the start. And then ultimately that transitioned to a software company that was selling internet advertising online back in the late 90s. And then we grew that business up to 60 employees, 15 million a year in revenue. And then the dot-com bust hit and essentially the thing went away within like nine months, right? Had to fire myself and all that stuff. Because you know, again, you you see things start to grow. You see a trend and all of a sudden you're like, well, I guess that was you know, short-lived and everything went away. So yeah, that's that's kind of a that kind of got me. I guess if you think about the start of the the, the century at the two thousand, I mean, it's really the journey I took from there to, you know, from high school all the way through uh, through two thousands. A lot of people would have given up on themselves. What what did that do for you? What what was there something that clicked in your brain, or did you go through a valley after that? Or I didn't really go through a valley. It was more just like, well, how are we going to keep going? You know what I mean? It's like you've got to be devoted to the practice of in my case, entrepreneurship, it can be anything for anybody, right? It could be whatever your practice is. But for, for me and for the guys that I worked with, it was like, well, we're still we're still dedicated and focused on being entrepreneurs. So being an entrepreneur means starting businesses. And so we just had to shut this one down. Well, let's start another one. And ultimately, we started work. I mean, everybody ultimately had to get unemployment because back then there weren't any jobs available. And, you know, we started working on this, our new idea when everybody was on unemployment. And it was one of those things, you know, we didn't have any income, but it's like, well, we had our time. Right. And, um, you know, we had some software engineers and some guys that were marketing guys, and I was kind of the sales guy. And ultimately, we built another business out of the ashes of the other one. And right when everybody's checks were about to to run out, we sold a like a fifty thousand dollar deal, which back in two thousand three that was a huge deal, right? I mean, there was one guy that was like, "I'm gonna have to go work at Starbucks in the evenings to pay the bills," right? right. Um, and so we totally bootstrapped the thing. We literally went from from the start of the business nine months. We had a, our first sale, and that was an anti spam company that was filtering junk email at the time for co companies. Um, and you know, you talk about pivoting, right? Originally, that company was going to be a consumer software company. So, you know, we were going to install desktop software on people's computers to filter junk email because we knew it was a big problem. Right. But what we found out is like, well, you know, we again, we just kind of lucked into this. We're like, well, the technology you need to use to filter junk email is really there's not a lot of good options. So we created this neural network. The guys I worked with were knew a lot, quite a bit about AI. This is 20 years ago, right? Hey, we're going to build a neural network to filter junk email. They're like, but the problem is like, we really do think this is the best technological solution, but they said, this isn't going to fit on a desktop computer. It's too powerful. So we need to put it on a dedicated device. And we're all like, well, I guess that means that we can't sell it to, you know, Joe consumer, but we could sell it to a business. Right. Right. And so literally that pivot all of a sudden, you know, again, it seems very simplistic, but I mean, that totally changed the course because that we grew that company to uh, millions a year in revenue, got funded by Sequoia Capital, who's backed Apple and Cisco and, you know, big brands like that. And, um, and yeah, we ultimately from year from, from start to, to exit, we sold that company two years after we started it to a public securities company. Amazing. Aaron, take yeah. me through, like, I think, 
Again, the entrepreneurial spirit, what I like is you're like, be curious and, and, but where do you focus? So when you're thinking about these two ideas or even the current idea now, it's always, there's like, what problem are you trying to solve? Right. You know, is there a problem that everybody's complaining about? I, at least that's where I would think I would start. Yeah, sure. And is there something that we have the skills and capabilities, or, you know, of people to have the skills and capabilities to get after that problem. So tell me like, where does it start? Do you get the group of people together and you brainstorm that ideas kind of looking at that? And then how do you get it filtered down for those that feel like they want to be an entrepreneur? They have those ideas, but they just almost analysis paralysis. They're just, there's so many directions. Like how do you get it honed in to be able to like focus in and then also have the agility to pivot? Like you just mentioned in your example. Yeah, you've got to. So that's a great question. I think the the secret really is one: getting a good group of people that have a uh, get get some people around the table, get some peers, right, that have compatible skill sets. Because there is certainly a lot of value and efficiency in being able to have those discussions to kind of hone, you know, take a rock and get a rough shape with with a group of internal people and and. And you take everybody's input and, you know, take everybody's ideas because it is really a brainstorming process. But once you kind of get that roughed in idea, then the, then the goal is like, well, how, how can you start engaging the market? Basically, the, the group of, you know, the market is really a fancy word for like the group of people you want to sell to, right? right. Or that could potentially have this problem. So you start engaging them and saying, hey, uh, and honestly, we took this approach. Hey, we're entrepreneurs. We're starting this business that kind of has solves this general problem. Could you talk to us about, you know, what you think of it? And there's, I mean, this is 20 years ago. I mean, it was a little bit rougher. Now there's so many books and 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 articles and YouTube videos on how to do customer interviews and everything else. But really, for me, the most valuable thing is like, well, you have to. I think Stephen Blank, who's a well-known kind of startup author says, get out of the, get out of the building, right? Get out of your office. And it really, really true. You just need to start having conversations and a dialogue with your prospective customers. Cause you start understanding like, well, what, what do you think of this? How do you react to it? Cause we had people tell us, eh, you know, we come up with a great idea or some, some spoke off of our hub idea. And they're like, yeah, I don't care about that. We're like, well, why? It's like, well, because of this, you're like, oh, I didn't think of that. Okay. Let's scrap that idea. Right. So right. I think it's it's really as simple as having as many conversations as you can, right? With the with the people that you ultimately think would be your customers, and as you go along, you probably start adjusting who you want to talk to, and then obviously you start honing in on what questions you ask. And then when do you stop? Like, so when do you feel like there's enough legs behind an idea that you're like, okay, now let's build a business out of this? Um, yeah, I don't think you ever stop. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the way that I would think about it is you're always trying to make sure that you're listening to what the market's telling you, because I'll give you an example, right? So this anti-spam company that we started, we we because we were using neural networks, we had to put it on a, very, a dedicated like com computational device, a server, right? That had a lot of power because you're running AI networks and filtering junk email like at a rapid pace. Well, we had a competitor. So it just in the inherent nature of it, we tried to, we came out to the market as a premium product. It was like, you know, 50 grand to get started, right? right? There was a competitor called Barracuda Networks that actually is public now. Barracuda came out and that they launched on spam filtering too, but they had like a $1,500 product. And it wasn't as good, at least according to like the magazine reviews, but it was pretty darn close, right? And it's that whole like, well, 
Aaron, I could pay you 50 grand to filter 99.8% of my spam, or I can pay these guys 1500 to get 90%. Like I can't justify to the CFO that I'm going to have to pay, right. pay, you know, that much more. Right. And so, you know, in retrospect, they had the better, they had the better idea, like, or they had the better product market fit, right? The market, this is a giant problem. Like the masses weren't willing to pay for a premium product. Some, some segment was. And so like just before we sold, we were asking ourselves, like, do we have to cannibalize our own business? Because we clearly, you know, we, we don't have, like, if you start losing deals, you have to start adjusting and be like, well, is our product wrong? Right. So I guess that's what I meant. Like it never stops. I mean, I think it slows down and you probably, you don't, you're not switching as rapidly, Beth, but it's still like this ongoing, you've got to kind of adapt this mentality. You've always got to be asking, do we have it right? Are we solving the problem? Does the market see another opportunity, another path? Um, so was that does that answer your question? I think that's perfect because I okay. think, hey, I, I just think of case studies, you know, like the Kodaks of the world, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't pay attention to the market, you become stagnant and and or sometimes lose the, everything. So I like the idea of even if you have to cannibalize your original idea as a potential thought process, right? You know, you can still kind of keep some of the same, like here's what we're in service to do and support. That could be your underlying mission, but really making sure that it continues to evolve with the market. I think it's fantastic. So I like don't ever stop. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and but I think you, bring, you the, the, we should say something very important. It doesn't mean you just you have you just keep talking to people, never build anything. Right. Right. And you have to you have to build that. You know, that term, I think, in the last 20 years has been coined MVP, your minimum viable product. Right. You have to find out what's that one thing that you can launch, it captures a lot of that value, but it's the most simplest thing that you could build. And again, simple could be like one engineer can do it in a day, or it could be that maybe there's a team of three or whatever, but it's like, what's that main kind of thing that you can build that kind of proves that it could work. And, and then essentially you're, you're taking little baby steps and building these MVPs and stacking, you know, functionality on top of it that solves these business problems. And so it, it, you have to, the, what maybe first starts out is just pure conversation. The next step is like, well, hey, I have this thing that solves this problem. What do you think? Do you want to test it? Do you want to buy it? And then as people start testing, they say yes. And then people start buying it. Then you start, again, you continually just repeat, 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 repeat until you grow it, right? I think that's fantastic. Again, because I know a lot of folks that have the idea get to a place and then it's analysis process and they never move forward. And so I, you know, kind of the origin of the original question was when you just, it doesn't have to be perfect, just go out there and try and then, you know, adjust it along the way based off of your feedback, you know, so that you're not just sitting in a room brainstorming with no idea out there for proof of concept as an example. So I don't know if you yeah. have any advice on that as well. Yeah, I think, I think that momentum is huge right? Because you're up against something that's very, very difficult and you have to see something going, right? Because you need momentum. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, psych, it's a little bit of a psychological game. But I think the other thing that, um, God, what, what else was I going to say you said there? Can you repeat what you asked me last time or you mentioned? Well, just some more of the analysis paralysis of just get out of the room and start testing the proof of concept to see what direction could go, what appetite the market is. Because um, I have a lot of individuals or friends that have good ideas and start, but they never, they never get it out, right? And then they just right. stop because it feels too overwhelming or they don't feel like they have it perfect or, you know, dot, dot, dot. You know, yeah, fair. So. Well, I guess so. Yeah. So thank you. That reminded me. So I think 
The other thing that I've found through my career has been you'd be surprised how simple sometimes things really can be because you look at you look at a you look at a a very mature company and you're like holy cow look at that solution it's so complex because they've got hundreds of engineers have been working for years on building that out but like this and this is gets back to where it's very very curious when you start really understanding what people value sometimes it can be the simplest things I mean, there's a there's a company that I know of recently that got acquired for I don't know how much they, it was a private company, but I mean the guy basically said, okay, well, financial literacy for the millennials is very important and Gen Z, and okay, so that means education or training or whatever you want to think of it. Like, okay, well, who does that well? Duolingo does it well. So all he did, and I'm not again, I'm not making light of, but it's a really straightforward idea. He basically took like. Okay, let's take deal, dual, let's copy, quote, Duolingo. Let's apply it to finance and education and finance, and ultimately became a lead generation and branding tool for credit unions and banks oh. because they knew that they have the next wave of consumers coming online. And again, I mean, you could probably start a company like that with two engineers. And I mean, it, it's, and and these and some of these credit unions are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to have access to it. I mean, granted, you can find stories like this all the time, but th you know, there's probably a, there's a lot of stuff out there that says as an entrepreneur you have to be obsessed with the business problem. And I think that's the other thing too that might help people that are stuck in analysis paralysis is like, what is the business problem? Because you can build all kinds of stuff, but if it's not solving for the need. Because, I mean, that's your North Star is like, what's the business problem? If you're not solving for the need, then ultimately you're just building feature functionality and you're not necessarily tapping into the business value of why somebody would transact with you. Yeah, I love that. I'm, Aaron, I'm, in, I'm intrigued with the whole idea of investors and angels and venture capitalists. So for me, let's say I'm, I'm going to start a new company tomorrow. And how, how do I go about, I've, I've got that product. I've, I've got something I think really is, really is needed. How do I go about getting a VC to take a look at my product? How do I get them to even sit in the room with me and consider funding what I'm doing? Best thing, and this is the thing that my team and I always did. Best way to do it, in my opinion, is to prove that it works. Okay. Because... If you go out to a VC and say, hey, I've got this great idea. Why don't you take on all the risk with me right. and let's see if it works together? Not as strong of a pitch. Right. Not saying it can't work, but it's not as strong as a pitch. Right. Well, that's that's Shark Tank, right? That's that's where people fail in Shark Tank. They come on and they don't have any, they don't have any revenue. They haven't proven right. that people want it and there's there's a need for it. Yeah. So in our anti-spam company, the name of it was Corvigo. And you know, we had bootstrapped it to half a million a quarter in revenue. And then we met with Sequoia and they basically told us, they're like, rarely do we see companies that have made it as far as you do with so little, so little like resources, right? We had a team of like five guys doing this. And, and it, and, and it was true because, and that's how you attract people like Sequoia to invest in you because they're like, well, you've proven that this can work yeah. and you've got an advantage. They don't, they don't want to invest in, I mean, yeah, it's a risk. Early stage investing is a risky business. Let's be honest. Right. But, um, but they don't, I mean, let's be honest. They don't, they don't like risk. So 
you know, somebody told me once that VCs or investors really have kind of two modes. It's either fear or greed. Mm. So when they see something working, they they want to pile money on. And if they're afraid, they're like, I'm not, I'm staying far away from, from opportunities, right? So you you want to tap into that greed thing where you say like, hey, geez, we just put in, I mean, Sequoia put 5 million bucks into us for our Series A. Like, hey, these guys are already selling things. What happens if we actually put some, you know, basically dump some gasoline on the sales and marketing fire? It's going to grow, which is what they want to do, right? Yeah, they want to get their money back quick and then they want to grow it. Yeah, and I think if everybody puts themselves in a, it thinks about themselves as having an opportunity to invest in some business idea, you'll come to the same conclusion. Like if you had a spare, let's say five grand sitting around a friend, a, you had three, 10 friends come to you with different ideas. I mean, wouldn't you pick the friend that you felt like, okay, well, this this seems like there's some growth potential here. I can give them my five and it's not going to go away. Right. I mean, you'd, you'd make the same decision. So I think right. it, it's nothing different for venture capitalists and angel investors. Now let's let's talk about the other side of that. There's there's a lot of people out there with a lot of money and are willing to throw it anywhere where they can make money off of it. For you, what are you looking for in a good investment partner? You know, what what are those things that you'd like? I don't care how much money you have, I'm not partnering with you. There, there's got to be a cutoff there. So what are you looking for in a good partner? I guess you mean so say a little bit more about what you mean. Well, there, there's certain people you don't want to get into bed with, you know, they can have the money, they want to fund you, but do you, do they have a, a history of getting too involved and getting their fingers too involved in what you're trying to do? And, you know, are they going to, are they going to hurt your reputation long term? Uh, you know sure. I, mean? I, I, I don't, I'm not as concerned about that. I mean, okay. it, it, it's not to say that it doesn't happen. It certainly does. But I think, you know, you've got a contract with, any kind of investor, right? You've got an agreement, basically talks about how you guys are going to interact. It doesn't mean they can't make your life hell or, <laughs> or, or, or on the flip side could be great too. But, you know, like for example, a typical early stage investor is going to, they get, they get stock and, you know, it, you can define how, what their level of involvement is. Right. Right. And so it's important that you're setting those standards early. Yeah, I think so. Like, okay. you know, we, you know, when we got early stage investment for that one company, it's like, well, you, the person gets a board seat. And, you know, obviously a professional investor, you know, is going to be, they've got other companies that they're working on. So they, it's, at some point, they only have enough time to devote, you know, what I call do the standard operating procedure. You know, if you get like an angel investor, it's might be a little bit more like he's going to show up at your, he or she's going to show up at your office and, and, you know, say like, show me your books, right? I just, I, it's a little bit, as you get more up the chain, as far as sophistication, like that's less of a concern, right? right? Okay. Because you get reputations and stuff they've got to uphold and, and just ultimately just standard of operation. They can only do, they can only be so involved in so many companies. I'm just a simple teacher and coach here. And so you got to, you got to remember where I'm coming from. My, yeah, no my, worries. My, my experience with investment is Shark Tank. So I'm always shocked when these people turn down Kevin O'Leary, you yeah. know, because of his personality or because, you know, the image that he portrays. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always curious why people walk away from an investment, you know, or why they, they'll, they'll take one investment over another, you know? So, yeah. and I don't know if you're ever in that position or if that even comes up, but it, it, it sounds like at the end of the day, you control that from the beginning. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah, well, see, that's what's important about having like a track, like having some momentum built up in your business, because then yeah. you've got choices, right? We had right. with our investment, we had choices, we had multiple firms that we could choose from. We're like, okay, we actually had, 
another firm give us a, they call it a term sheet, which is essentially a, you know, a few pages, which is kind of a, the high level details of a potential deal. And, you know, they were going to give us a higher money, a higher valuation of our business than Sequoia was. But we're like, well, here's Sequoia. They're a highly known firm, right? They get huge, repu great reputation. I mean, they did, you know, invested in Google. And, and so you're like, well, do we want to do business with these guys that have this great reputation? Or we rather do business with these guys. And honestly, one of the biggest deciding factors was the other firm said, well, the first thing we want you to do is go hire a professional management team because you guys are all, you know, late 20s. Right. And Sequoia was like, no, you don't need to do that. You guys are executing, keep executing until you're not executing anymore. And so it was one of those things where we're like, well, that's what we want. We don't want to go. I mean, that's what the investor wants, not what we want. Yeah. Um, so I think those those decisions become pretty obvious. And, you know, just trust your gut, too. If you're talking to somebody and think they're a pain in the ass, then don't deal with them. Agreed. Tell me again, you're currently partner in VP growth 329. Tell me more about this, this company that you're responsible. Yeah. For. So it's interesting because my whole career, I've been involved in early stage venture back companies, right? We get a whole pile of dough and, and, and do it. That. And, you know, we typically would bootstrap. Uh, I was looking for something a little bit different uh, this time around. The last company I'd been involved in, um, you know, I was there for seven years, but I was, I wanted to get back to, I should mention this too, about the journey kind of entrepreneurship. I mean, the last company, I was actually an employee. I was not, I was not a founder. Um, I was a first employee in North America and grew the team here. But I think there was certain points in my life where like pure entrepreneurship was awesome. And there were other points where I'm like, you know what, I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I've got the energy or I need to build up whatever. It just, you know, there's different life stages you have to go through. But um, what was interesting about 329 is 329 is a 12-year-old uh, digital agency. And um, the person that owns it, the founder, was looking for a partner to help grow it to kind of the next phase. And I thought, hey, that'd be a fun project. And of course, it's local. And I was looking forward to getting back to working with people versus working purely remote. And um, so what we do is we do kind of, we design web-based experiences that help people generate revenue and profitability. So that's things like, you know, when, when consumers click on an ad, you've got landing pages, you've got web-based experiences, you've got websites, you've got, so how do you design all that so that it's as engaging as possible, it's giving them to the information they want to get to and making sure that we're helping companies in the digital world, design the right experiences that their customers are going to adapt to. So, that's excellent. Yeah, so that's what we do. But it's it's fun because we're I'm back to the beginning where it's like, okay, well, we have some sales, but we need we need to we need to do more. So how do we reposition all the different things that we do? What do we say no to? What are we going to start saying yes to? And what are we going to double down, triple down on? And just so it's that same kind of startup thing where like I'm out having conversations with the market trying to figure out like well, what given the fact that as an agency there's like 30 different things we can do what are the two to four that we can do really really well and then how do we take that out and do that over and over and over again you're, you're, you're still the same guy you were 35 years ago because you're still tearing it down trying to figure out where the soul is where's where's yeah. how does it work who's going to buy it where, who's going to be interested in it so I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, do you feel like 
you've changed in terms of your goals and what you're trying to accomplish? Are you in a, obviously you're in a different place in your life, but are, are you more looking for the journey now and the joy, or are you still looking for that next great opportunity? I think both. I mean, I, I enjoy doing it. Um, it's really hard, which I think is part of the appeal. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's hard to figure this stuff out. Right. I mean, anybody that's listening, that's out there doing this, like that. And if, if you feel like it's going to be hard, that's, it, it's okay. I mean, it is, you just have to take pleasure and joy into the, into the, the difficulty, if you will. Uh, but no, I mean, I am, I'm definitely at a different place in my life, man. I mean, I've got a family now I've got, yeah. I'm married. I've got a 10 year old and a 15 year old. I mean, I used to spend seven days at the office working. I don't do that anymore. Um, you know, I'm going to take my daughter to the DMV today to get a learner's permit, which is a huge, Very. huge <laughs> thing. So it's That's like, great. so I take, you know, I like having time now to, um, to do those types of things, right. To take yeah. time off and go to the beach with the family or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely changed from when I was just, just me just going out there trying to take on the world. Are you finding with all your relationships over the years, are, are companies coming to you? Are, are, are people coming to you? Are, could you start a consulting firm tomorrow and, and, and have fun doing that? No, I don't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that just because it's just advice. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's just, it's to me like consulting really, what consultants are, or what, what you're looking for in a consultant is an expert. And it's kind of like, not to say that can't be done, but it's like, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur, like a lot of it is just city. It's just playing the game. Yeah. And just being able to fail, 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 fail until you finally find something or yeah. you just get to the point where you're like, okay, we haven't found anything. Let's try a different idea or pivot. Um, and I just don't think that's something that Again, you can really you can give people like pats on the back and say keep at it, like I'm doing here. Yeah, but I mean, there's ultimately you just need to be in it. Yeah, and a you consultant still, really can't help you. Right. Do that right now. You if still, I was, you if still I like rolling up your sleeves. And, and oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. prospecting right now. I'm prospecting, calling people. Like I'm still doing that same stuff. Yeah. Versus like if somebody were to say, well, I'm I'm already at a million a year in revenue. I'm trying to get it to five or trying to get it to ten. And I'm a B2B SaaS product. How would you help me design my sales and marketing organization to effectively do that? Like that's, I mean, I've done that, but it's always at the tail end of doing the hard, what I call is the really hard stuff. Right. And so my it's expertise, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. And honestly, my expertise isn't, isn't there. It's more like, I think it's just more being willing to sit in the, the pain, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a special quality. Yeah. Not, not everybody has that. Yeah. That's, 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 that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're still finding joy in that. Aaron, it's, it's, it's so cool to hear your story and the advice you've given. And obviously you've lived a significant life and what you're doing with, with work and family and the balance that you found. And it's what everybody dreams of. And it's, it's just, I'm really proud of you and really excited for everything that you're going to do in the future. So yeah, it's cool. Thank you. Uh, if you're up for it, we've got a little rapid fire, some stuff we're going to throw at you, just some, you know, quick question and answer and, and get your thoughts and, uh, and well, if you're ready, Beth will jump into the first question. I'm ready. Fire away. All right. So what job would you do if it wasn't what you're doing? This is going to be interesting for me. I would be an instructor at one of those indoor skydiving places. <laughs> have you, have you done a lot of skydiving? 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how much have you done? Four hundred jumps. Have you really? I had no idea. Yeah, I've done one, and that was it for me. Yeah, I, I no, thought, that's great. I'm not doing. It's a lot of fun, but the indoor places, you know, I mean, that's you get a. I mean, it's not the same, right? But I mean, you get a similar sensation. But it'd be fun to go, kind of introduce that to uh, to other people, kids, adults, etc. That's very cool. Yeah, the guy that we did our one jump with had just broken the record. He'd gone. He jumped every day for one straight year. It was the first guy I ever do. 365 straight jumps. Interesting. Yeah. So it was, it was quite a story. <laughs> I had no idea that it was it's it's something you were into. What I'm going to go back to where we started. What would you tell your 21 year old self? If you go back in time and give give young Aaron some advice, what would what would you what would you tell him? His his brain is thinking. I'll take a page out of Drucker's book, uh, Effective Executive, and it's like, know thy time. Basically, pay very close attention to where you spend your time because mm. that's what it all comes down to, right? Yeah. It's all about, that's, that's our, all of us have the same amount of time available. It's a limited resource. So how do you think about using it? What do you associate with it? What do you what do you set aside and what do you focus on? I, I think that would be the one thing that I would say. We're, we're bringing you back for a second podcast just to talk about that. It's just so you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So on that, and you mentioned one book, but you said you do like to, you know, read a lot of books or, you know, go yeah. and research a lot of information. So right now, what do you find your favorite book or podcast or magazine? What have you that really is, is found you're finding significance in? Yeah, we'll give you a couple answers. So Huberman Lab is one that I've been listening to recently that's all about like I'm as you know when you've got to when you've got to deal with being kind of in the in the thick of it all. You've got to your body has to be you know, you got to optimize your sleep, you've got to optimize your nutrition, you've got to optimize your exercise, your body has to be optimized, which is means your brain has to be optimized, right? So you've got to be able to deal with that. Got to make sure your body can handle stress. Um, so I, I, I love Huberman lab and just listening to some of those, the ways that he talks about studies that he's found to optimize your health. So that's a big thing that I've always been into. Um, I would say that the other business podcast I'm listening to a lot right now has been the all in podcast. You know, if you've heard of that one, but it's, with, uh, it's yeah, one. so that, that one's great. I mean, those guys are essentially tech. I mean, they're guys that are probably my age, maybe a little bit older that have been in Silicon Valley like I was. So just here to, it's fun to hear the banter. It kind of feel like I'm just sitting around the table with them, but it's, it's a really great podcast. Um, as far as books right now, I mentioned Drucker. That's one of my favorite ones, the effective executive. Um, trying to think, do I have anything sitting? I don't think right now I'm into reading. I've been still trying to kind of wrap my head around AI. So that's kind of what I've been spending my extra time with right now is is digging into the tools that are coming out almost daily basis on that. So, yeah. Cool. I, and I'm on the other side with AI looking at from an HR standpoint, you know, I think you don't want to stunt it, but you also need to manage it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, how do you allow that, you know, right policies and processes to allow freedom to investigate and leverage all the, you know, great opportunities of it, but also put some controls because intellectual property could go right out the door with some of that. So it's absolutely. Yeah, it. absolutely fascinating yeah. all right curveball for you when you what's your go-to food when you when you want a great meal oh that's easy so ground beef and vegetables that's simple huh 
What yep. kind of Gra grass, grass fed ground beef, of course, right? You have to go yeah. grass fed. And then it's easier carrots, bok choy, broccoli, asparagus, zucchini, yellow squash, broccoli. Those are the ones that I go to, usually sauteed. Love That's it. great. And, yeah. That's great. And when you're kind of feeling a little bit like, Ugh, I need a boost of energy, what's that go-to movie that you're just like, every time it's on, you're like, yep, this is going to fire me up. Oh, the go-to go movie, huh? Oh, I know. I know which one you would say. <laughs> Are you thinking Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? That, that would be one. But I, I, Dumb and Dumber? Well, I'd go back, I'd go back 20 more years. Uh, what did what did you what, what did you and I watch for every every movie that came out? Peter Sellers, Pink Panther. He's, you were that's a big, right. Big, we did. That's right. We had all those. That's right. We did watch a lot of those. That's true. <laughs> Beth, I don't know. That's a really good question. I you know Marvel. I love Marvel movies, so I'd probably watch a Marvel movie just because it's you know it's. A, I mean, I love action movies, so yeah. that would be that's what I would be all about. So yeah, me too. Perfect. Yeah. But yeah, Pink Panther, Matt. That was a good. That was a good. Yeah, was a we, we watched all those together. Yeah. All right, Aaron. If you're president for the day, I'm gonna make you president of the of the country for the day. What's one thing you would implement or change tomorrow? Interesting. Well, I have to take a pay. I've been I've been listening to all the different candidates out there lately. Some of them are starting to come on podcasts and everything else. Right. I will actually take a page out of RFK Jr.'s book because I think he, I've been listening to some of the things, perspective that he has on kind of why things are the way they are. And I think a lot of our kind of free speech issues we have going on in society are because if you, again, if you follow the money, to answer your question, I would, I would do what he's suggesting and actually put effort into making it illegal for pharma companies to advertise on television i'm not gonna lie to you that that's pretty darn good it's so i've worked in global companies and then i've done a lot of traveling in my life i'm sure you have as well and that's the number one thing i get from people over here they're like i'm just turning on the tv now they're like what's with you advertising for these drugs like what what is that and i mean if they're like this relatively first time coming over here it's so foreign and they're like well if you need something you should just get something and i was like huh that seems hmm. very practical and pragmatic yeah. you know? so i think it, yeah that's a that's letting a crack dealers have commercial time well yeah i mean to me it's it's all about incentives right so it's like right. some of the stuff i've been listening to recently is like okay well if Somebody like a Fox News or a CNN or an MSNBC is getting 40% of the revenue from pharma companies and advertising. Are they really giving the people, are they are giving non-biased advice? And then you can pick pharma, you can pick anybody, but it's like, I mean, that is a big category right now where there's been a lot of like, you know, we want you to say this. Um I, I just think that that's a, a very, and again, I heard RFK Jr. talk about, I think that's a very interesting it's very idea interesting. that I never, I never identified that. Yeah, I wouldn't so. have pinpointed it. So I, I'm now more curious to go listen to that. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, for anyone listening to this podcast, what's, I think, current probably advice that you're like, this is over the years, I've learned a lot of things, but this is what I would give right now that I'm kind of you know, living on, standing on a, you know, 
platform saying that this is really significant advice that you should pay attention to that I've learned from my experiences. So you're looking for something that I would tell somebody that would be kind of a really high level. Yeah, yeah. But kind of more of with the perspective of looking back. So almost today versus advice you've taken along the way, something that you maybe it's a cumulative or something in that vein that you could pass back that you're like, this, I think is very important from your experiences. Mm, gosh, there's so many to pick one, huh? You could pick top three, whatever you could yeah. off a few that you think are, are key. I think one of the ones that comes to mind is, and it's been said many, many times before, but it's about surrounding yourself with the right people, mm. right? Because it, that can really make a difference as to the, the quality. I, if you think about people sitting in silence, not sending emails, not communicating on any kind of instant message, like nothing happens. So conversation is what makes things happen, right? So you have to think about like the quality of your conversations. And so, so much of that is dictated by the other people you have around you, right? I mean, if you're a solo entrepreneur going out to the market, obviously you don't, you, you know, there, there's, there's value in engaging people, but again, nothing happens without conversations. And at some point, where's that peer group or where's that team that you assemble that is going to compliment you and also help you're going to again help each other scale up so i think surrounding yourself with the people that um that you're compatible with is going to make a huge huge impact in your life again i mentioned my first company we started it was with a group of guys and we started multiple companies together because we complemented each other so well i'd say right now that's probably the biggest one that i could get the I mean, right people get the right people on the bus get the right people on the bus always. Yeah. as an HR professional. I love that. And I, what I love also too, and I'm assuming, but I don't want to assume too wrong. So let me for clarify when you compatible people, I think doesn't necessarily mean similar minds, right? I mean, maybe similar work ethics, but you know, especially as an entrepreneur, I think you do want some disagreement. You want to challenge each other in a, in a respectful way to like get to the best idea or solve the problem you didn't think about, or, you know, dot, dot, dot. Is that in line absolutely. with absolutely. doesn't mean that we're all marching and we all think the same and we all have the exact same ideas. It's it's really getting that diversity of thought around the room and yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good distinction, Beth. Sorry. Um that compatibility might be misleading because you're right. You don't compatibility doesn't mean you guys all um think the same. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like if you give yourself a hundred, like you give each person a hundred points and you score them on, let's say 20 dimensions, right? It's like, everybody's going to be scored differently. And so the question is, does that scoring of all those dimensions match up? Right. I mean, I, I, I benefited personally from, cause I was typically was more creative and more like execution oriented. Like I benefited from somebody who was more strategic mm. and was, would, could think more about like, see the future and could maybe put some, you know, put some, some tent poles and say like, this is where we're charging. And it was helpful to have somebody that was thinking about that because then I could look at, worry about the details that were going to get us there. Right. And so if we we're, everybody was focused on details, you might literally have a headless horse that's running around in all positions. If everybody's focused on strategy, then nobody's there to do anything. Right. So I, just to give you an example, that's something that I saw play out for me personally, quite a bit. That's, perfect. that's great. Yeah. Well, Aaron, um, 
it, I'm so happy you said yes to this. You know, we, you and I grew up, we had a group of friends, you know, Conley and Kramer and Foley and Spencer and the, the, the six of us kind of, we kind of shaped each other and grew up together. And mm -hmm. so to see what everybody's doing and especially you with your life. I'm just, I'm just so proud of everybody and proud of you and um, glad my, our audience got to hear your story and got to hear your advice and the direction you took. And, and, and we're just thankful you're here. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate things. the opportunity. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And again, I might reach out later just to pick your brain on a few other ideas. So uh, hopefully that's absolutely. Thing, yeah. <laughs> really. Absolutely. Got to keep those conversations going, right, Beth? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's how we do it. Perfect. Yeah, Thanks, no, I Aaron. Thank you both and have an awesome week. You too, you my friend. Well. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow, Matt. Good guest. That's amazing. He's an interesting dude. I can't believe, again, you know, I didn't get to go there. I, I was also curious, which, you know, I can ask him at another time, but just Lena, Lena, Illinois, you know, yeah. and I think you know, a lot of people probably have, you know, small town, like where you can get some of that passion and curiosity that goes off and digs deep and drills into an idea and then just goes after it. Right. Yeah. And he even talked a little bit about, you know, how he was, I think, mature in mind on the sense of going into school, going for engineering, realizing that wasn't really what he loved, but being yeah. brave enough to then find a curriculum to switch into entrepreneurship so he could get that experience and learn about what he didn't know and, yeah. and then feed his passion. I mean, amazing, amazing individual. Yeah. I think it just goes to show you, it doesn't matter where you come from. Cause th there was nothing in Lena, Illinois population, 2000 people that was going to give him direction on the life he's at now. There, there wasn't a, there wasn't a, anybody that was really technology, technologically, focused you know there wasn't anybody he could go to and get mentorship or any type of of help with us so the fact that he went to Rose Holman as an engineer and that was his brain at that point everything was computers and technology and and then to get there and go that isn't my focus I want to I want to grow things I want to grow businesses I want to I want to build things from scratch and create things so it, it's, it's just a remarkable story what he did from 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 really uh, bare beginnings, you know, his mom and dad were both educators. You know, his dad was our librarian. His mom was a was a the piano teacher in town, and they were both, you know, um, history buffs and 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 things like that. But he he really found it early what he wanted to do, and it's, a, it's an exciting story. You yeah, know, you want something, go after it. I think so. And then I, I love some of the lessons which you hear about, but then you get to see it in action where, you know, conversation, keep, keep conversations. So, you know, in general, keep conversations internally with your team, making sure you're all on the same page, make sure you're driving for the same ideas. If something comes up in which you need to pivot, don't be afraid to pivot. And then I love get out in the market, hear what the market thing, hear what your customer is saying. Is your customer happy with what you're doing? I think often we don't, go back and ask, especially if you have a proof of concept that's working, you forget to ask, why do you like it? You know, almost like just a sense check of how are we doing? And um, we didn't go too deep in that, but I think it's really just staying, getting out of the office, so to speak, the virtual office and talking with people and making sure you're staying relevant to what the idea that you have and or willing to switch if it's not 
seeing longevity in that space. So I, yeah. I amazing. It's motivating. It's motivating to keep finding your fire and keep finding something new and keeping, keeping yourself, um, you know, rejuvenated in, in your career and finding new things. So, so um, to our audience, I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you got a, a great sense of Aaron, Aaron Magee and Aaron uh, motivated you like he motivated us. Remember, you can find our podcast um, email in our notes at significant number four letter U at gmail.com. Uh, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify if you're enjoying our conversations. Um, we want to make sure you get them every Monday. Um, and um, with that, don't let life happen to you. Go make it happen. And, and we hope your, your week is filled with significance. And we'll see you next time.